if you look at different stages of life, you know, you're going to be in an accumulation stage, you're going to be in a decumulation stage. So that's while you're working or in retirement. I'm Janet Ahmed, host of Hacks and Hobbies podcast and a digital presence advisor at HumbleZone. This episode is brought to you by Home Studio Mastery. I launched a consultation and course program to help podcasters and course creators to create a space in their homes that will reduce the friction of creating content and appearing their best when showing up on camera. The pandemic gave us a lot of issues, but this one is here to stay. We're now so much closer to our audience thanks to video becoming more popular and affordable. I help guide folks who want to create Hollywood-worthy studios to not only capture great content, but also build more confidence, more authority, and be more comfortable in front of the camera. If I can do it, you can too. And with my help, you can do it faster. So if you'd like to learn more, visit homestudiomastery.com and how you too can create a home studio that brings out your personality, professionalism, and possibilities. Thank you for tuning in to Hacks and Hobbies with your host, Junaid. We're visited by our amazing guests coming from all walks of life. We want to learn their story, their struggles, and their journey on how they got to where they are today. So stick around. Today, I get to speak with Andy Wong. If you don't know who Andy Wong is, he is a managing partner at Runnymede Capital Management and the host of Inspired Money, recognized by Forbes as a top 10 personal finance podcast by financial advisors. The beautiful part is I've been in a mastermind with this gentleman for the past two and a half years, and he has also been named as among the Investopedia 100 most influential advisors, as well as the top 100 most social financial advisors by Brightscope. He's appeared on Reuters TV, Barron's and Forbes. Now, Andy has been a featured speaker at industry conferences, including Inbound, FinCon, and PodFest. He's a co-founder of the Asian American Podcasters Association. Now, Andy is married, has three children, and can be periodically found performing Hawaiian guitar in the New York tri-state area. Without further ado, please join me as we learn more from Andy Wong. Andy, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. Thanks, Junaid. So great to be here. You know, you're a master podcaster with the way you've been producing your episodes and your podcasts, and your flow is so smooth. I'm almost jealous. It's really awesome to have you. We've been connected for quite some time, and I, I love what you're doing with your podcast game and in your business. I mean, what you're teaching, what you're helping people with is truly amazing. So thank you again for making time for my podcast. Thank you. Thank you for the compliments. Compliments will get you far. <laughs> <laughs> All right, sweet. I love that. So Andy, walk us through a, or share with us, you know, where you, where you got started, because even though we've known each other for a while, maybe the, the audience might not have heard of Inspired Money and what you've been doing on the podcast. So tell us a version of your journey that no one's heard of before and 
there's probably a lot of us over here. Okay. Well, I've been a financial advisor for over 20 years, grew up in a family that would talk about money. And that's a little bit of the premise of why I launched Inspired Money. I feel that the majority of people don't talk about money frequently enough. You know, we just don't have those conversations. And then we don't learn en enough about personal finances in school either. It's one of those things that whether you graduate from high school or you graduate from college or graduate degrees, once you're in the real world, you're just trying to figure it out by doing. And unfortunately, our personal finances are too often put on the back burner because, you know, it's like you're doing things with your spouse, you're working, you're enjoying the weekend, you're driving your kids around. And suddenly you're, you say, why didn't I take care of my 401k retirement plan? Things like that. So I grew up having, like my father is in the investment business. He's, he ran a research department at the Bank of New York, visited hundreds of companies. He ran the bank's pension fund as well as outside clients. My mom, when she went back to work, when I was in third grade, she was working at Merrill Lynch as a broker. So at my house at dinner, it was normal to talk about what is a company's return on equity? What is a company's earnings? My dad was trying to teach me about economic cycles and what is the replacement cycle for a washer dryer in somebody's house? I didn't know any different, you know? <laughs> and I'm in a family business. My, my father started our company in 1993. My brother and I have taken over. So we work with clients managing... Uh, their investment portfolio, stocks and bonds, and those who are not retired yet and trying to build their nest egg, as well as those who are retired and trying to protect their nest egg and making sure that, you know, they've done the planning to make, to, to ensure that they have enough money to last them while enjoying a certain, and in there I launched Inspired Money because I thought it would be a fun way to get people to think positively about money and hopefully inspire them to take a look at their 401k. So that's just been a, a process for me, a big experiment, right? Uh, I didn't go yeah. to journalism school. I was, uh, I was never on the radio. So to have an interview podcast that I put out weekly, it's almost been five years. I'm just mm. coming up on five years come this September. I've just been learning so much and appreciate those who are listeners or viewers on YouTube in joining me for this journey. I learn every I learn something every episode and I hope that those tuning in will too. That's really amazing. And when you when you mentioned, right, those are the type of conversations we're having at dinner table. And it basically for somebody who's growing up with those type of conversation, you would think that everybody is having that same conversation at the dinner table because that's the norm for you, right? I mean, the life cycle of a washer dryer, that's, that's fascinating. I think he was trying to teach me how you could look at like Maytag's sales and then overlay that to get some kind of reading into where are you in the economy. It's mm -hmm. like if there's a dip in housing and then related to that or, or there's a correlation to, 
you know, Maytag's sales numbers. Mm. If there's an economic slowdown and a housing slowdown, everything's cyclical. So you'd see a dip in sales and then you could try to extrapolate and say, yeah. all right, now it looks like we're coming out of this dip and you're going into a growth mode. He was trying mm -hmm. to teach me economic cycles. That said, even though we had those discussions at the dinner table, mm -hmm. that doesn't guarantee that I'm going to be doing the right things with my money too. I mean, we all make mistakes and Absolutely. we're all learning. So you, you just hope that you make the mistakes so that you can learn and you repeat your mistakes less frequently. <laughs> In the investment business, it's just a series of trying to limit <laughs> the size of your mistakes so that you have more wins than losses. If you have more wins than losses in investing, you're winning. That is so true. And and that's really interesting. If you have more wins than losses, you are winning. But if you have more losses than winnings and you still come out on top, I think that's how they look at in like baseball hall of fame, you know, 70% of the times they're not hitting a home run. It's only the 30% of the times but they are continually taking that shot, right? So does that translate to investing? Maybe you get better at it. Uh, it's a good analogy. I think that, that that translates in the sense that if you're batting over 200, as you said, that means you're not hitting that many <laughs> of the pitches, right? Yeah, you're batting 200 and, and you're above average, you're going to have a great career. Investing is mm. kind of similar too. you you got to be willing to take the risk. And you've mm. got to be able to put money, you know, put money on the line. But there are different ways to do it. And we can get into investing. But if yeah. you're going to be trying to do research on individual companies, I think that you're trying to go for not the home runs, the temptation right. is always to, uh, you know, we call them water cooler it's stocks. Like, People talk oh. about, oh, wow, I, I invested in this biotech company that went up 300%. Or since we're coming out of the pandemic, yeah, it, it was, you know, owning Zoom because everybody was doing conferences online and Zoom mm -hmm. stock was on fire. Amazon stock was doing really strongly. Yeah. Everybody wants the home runs, but... In my experience and having talked to many investors who have been successful like over their lifetimes, usually yeah. it's the boring stories that serve people best. Um, investing is like planting a tree and watching it grow. Watching a tree grow is not exciting. <laughs> you just water it. You make sure it has sun. Amen. And you have to let it. It takes time. You have to, you have to allow it that time. But we're all impatient. We want we want the tree to grow faster. And investing yeah. is like that too. You need to be patient. You need to be consistent. And those who just set a course or have a strategy and stick to it, that usually serves people best and allows them to sleep at night, that you're not panicked during mm -hmm. these unusual times of pandemics and lockdowns and the economy shutting down. Yeah. Or even looking back further, it's like internet bubble, financial crisis. If you have like a if you have a plan, and you're trying just to stick to the plan, that that pays off. That that pays off well over time. 
All right. So investing 101, I know since you have been, you know, a financial advisor for over two decades, what's investing 101? Because I absolutely did not <laughs> take those classes. And in my, in my thought was, okay, I own 10 shares in Apple and I'm set. But that's not investing. That's just holding 10 shares in a company, right? Investing would be I'm actively adding to that pile. Would that be accurate? I think all of the above counts as investing. I think okay. that if your approach is just to buy some Apple and you do that because you want to own, you want to own a piece of that company. Yeah. You like the story behind the company. You like their products. I'm assuming that your family all uses Apple products mm -hmm. and it's something that you're familiar with. You can buy some shares of Apple and proudly be a shareholder in addition to being a customer yeah, and just leave it there. And because you believe in the growth story of Apple, 20 years from now, 30 years from now, that stock should appreciate and it's growing while you're sleeping. I don't think that you need to be actively trading. You don't even need mm -hmm. to have the strategy where you're constantly adding. You can just own it and be happy to be a shareholder. If you want to okay. get more advanced, then you're, you know, then you're trying to, it's like quarterly you're adding to your Apple position or you're sure. looking at an overall portfolio and saying, am I not diversified because I own too much Apple? Do I want to? Do I want to spread the risk so that it's a little bit more even and you can rebalance a portfolio because certain names have appreciated a lot, others have yeah. gone down, and you can you can tweak a little bit. But I think it all counts as investing. Peter Lynch, who was at Fidelity's Magellan Fund, running that mm -hmm. mutual fund for many years, he was a big advocate of investing in what you know. So he would be telling you, if you like Apple products, invest in Apple. Back in the 90s, I think it was like Gap stores that he noticed his wife and his kids, they were buying clothes from the Gap. Yeah. And that ended up being a big winner for him. But mm. it's like, look around your house, see what kind of products and services you're using. And if you want to be a shareholder, that works. The mm. other approach to investing and Warren Buffett, uh, it, he advocates this. He says that most individuals, most people, don't have the time or the skills to do research on individual companies, to really identify who are going to be the winners, who are going to be the losers, and then trying to time when do you own it when. Yeah. So Warren says that most of us are just going to be better off owning the S&P 500. You own the whole market. And over time, that will serve you well. And I can explain that the reason why that serves people well, if you look at the S&P 500, which tends to be the 500 largest companies mm -hmm. in the US, you buy the S&P 500, either an index fund or an exchange traded fund, you own 500 companies. So you're diversified. Interesting. Okay. Those 500 companies are growing their earnings. If you aggregate their earnings, their earnings are growing. So the S&P should go up. The whole index should go up. Yeah. And then companies that don't do well, they drop out of the index. So you kind of have this like autopilot. You own the market and then there's like survivorship. Some companies come out, 
even the index gets upgraded over time by the standard importers who manage the S&P 500 index. And you just collectively own the whole thing. And over time, earnings are growing and then the stock price should appreciate. So then you can make money while you're sleeping, right? You just own the yeah. S&P 500 and you're not worrying about quarterly earnings. You're, you just say, okay, I'm going to own everything. And 30 years from now, it's going to pay off. You can just, it's like, put it under your pillow and see what it grows into. Let yeah. the tree grow. You know, talk about putting it under the pillow. It's not the magic beans. You're not going to have a beanstalk growing overnight. And that's what people want. It's the long term. And, and that's what I keep hearing. You know, you said 30 years, 20 years. You're, you're looking at these things in the long term. And if, if, I, if I think about it, you know, I'm looking at my kids the same way. Yes, I put a lot of time and effort in my kids in their education. 10, 20, 30 years from now, they'll be better off and they'll be able to support me, hopefully, or, you know, have a better off living as opposed to not. Yeah. Kids are even better because when it comes to investing, your money has two best friends. Mm -hmm. That's time. And it's the power of compounding, like compound growth. Your yeah. kids can invest for 50 to 70 years. So you buy them some Apple mm -hmm. that they don't even know is there. Yeah. And 70 years from now, let's hope that Apple is still around. I've seen the like end of road because I've met 80-year-olds who mm. owned like Procter & Gamble since they were 20. Wow. And today they're multimillionaires. Here's my favorite story. Mm -hmm. I, I had a client. He passed away. He was like 92 or 93 years old. He never had a job that was like a high salary paying job. He worked, he worked in New York City for a newspaper company on the printing press. He was an immigrant from Europe, came to the United States. He had that immigrant work, work ethic. He always worked hard. When I met him, he was retired already. He was like mm -hmm. in his late 60s, early 70s. But he always invested his money. He was buying stocks like in the 1950s. That's when he started. Wow. And come 2019, 2020, he was a multimillionaire. I don't think he ever sold. I think he would mm -hmm. just buy like blue chip stocks, high quality companies. And he, he just held them and wow. he held them from, you know, 1950s, 1960s, 1970s. He would, he would add a little bit and just leave it there. Yeah. And, um, it served him very well. So you hear those stories about millionaire next door. He was patient. He, that, that was his approach. He stuck to his mm -hmm. approach and he did very well. But here's the thing, right? He said you you said that he's no longer with us. He you know he passed away. What happened to his millions? Where did the money go? He didn't get to use it while he was alive. While while he was alive, it's almost like that Alanis Morissette song, isn't it ironic? You win a million dollars and next day you're dead, kind of thing. In but his case, how does that work? 
his beneficiaries were really like they got the windfall. Yeah. But I wouldn't say that he didn't benefit because okay. he always lived within his means. He wasn't mm -hmm. a big spender. He actually, he never married. He never had kids. So, okay. so it's his nieces and nephews who inherited his fortune. But mm. he, he enjoyed his retirement. He, he yeah. lived yeah, he in New Jersey, but he also used his money to buy a condo in Florida. And he would go cool. down in the wintertime. He would escape the snow. And then he'd come <laughs> back to New Jersey like in the spring. Sorry yeah. About that. He'd come back in the spring and warmer months. Mm -hmm. So he, he enjoyed his money, but he did not live That's extravagantly. Cool. He was a true millionaire next door. Yeah. No, it does make a lot of sense. And, and it, it's really for... It's really you're investing in companies and you're investing in your own future and your retirement. So you're living comfortably in your retirement, not having to work. You know, like you said, he had a property down south in Florida where he can go, enjoy, come back, has, have a good, probably a pretty good network of friends, right? Because you're living within your means, you're, you're doing everything by the rules. Man, He's that. an interesting case study because he had a house that he lived in. He was very comfortable, but it wasn't a mansion. Yeah, He bought this condo down in Florida. It was a condo. He didn't buy like this huge house. He could have bought a bigger house, but for right. him, yeah. he said he doesn't need anything bigger. Yeah, And, you know, he could go out to eat. He could, he could travel. And for him, like he could do enough that was fulfilling for him. And like you said, with his friends or his family, his relatives, like his siblings and their children, yeah, he spent a lot of time with. So it's a little bit yeah. about identifying what's important to you and how much is enough, right? It's, it, it's about so not true. overextending yourself. Yeah. And there's always a temptation to you know, keep up with the Joneses. You see your neighbor has a new grill and a new car and you say, well, I kind of, I, I'd like to upgrade my grill mm -hmm. and maybe I need a new car, but maybe you don't. <laughs> maybe you don't. Because the old grill is working just fine. And my, <laughs> talk about grills, my grill has been breaking down one piece at a time. So I replaced the top grate. Like, hey, this is good. Now the bottom piece has fallen out because it's rusted or whatever. But you're right, you know, we got to live in, we got to find where am I going to spend most of my time and how that time am I, with that time, how am I bringing value to the people around me? Interesting. All right. So you shared with us, you know, your journey and, and your origin story and how you got started and what pulled you into being a financial advisor, advisor running the family business. And why you started the podcast, because you just wanted to inspire other people to be better educated about their money, better educated about what's possible in the long term, long run, how you can create an abundance for, for yourself and your families. What's keeping you motivated to keep going 
in this route and in, in creating the podcast and, you know, helping people with their financial planning? Well, I feel like my work is never finished. And <laughs> right, that's for a couple of reasons. One is that we're still not getting that personal finance class in school. So mm. everybody still needs some help or guidance. And yeah. some people can hire me and pay me to manage their, you know, their investment portfolio for them. We do financial planning. Or I'm writing a blog or I'm posting to LinkedIn or yeah. I have a YouTube video. You know, people can get free information too. That's what's mm-hmm. that's what's nice about this like information economy we live in. Yeah. I mean, I need to I need to fix something at my house and I can I can look up how to unclog my drain on YouTube. Like I can find anything almost. Yeah. Yeah. And people can do that with their investments too. But yeah, my work is never done because I think that we're not getting the education and then the economy is just constantly changing. Every every market correction, there are similarities, but each time's different. Like it has a different cause. And yeah. so therefore, as a student of the financial markets, I'm always learning. We're never done. So we just keep we keep at it. You keep at it. So quick question, right? So you said the this financial planning and money is not taught in schools. What school grade level do they start teaching about it? I think too often, no grade level. Because okay. so is it an you, undergrad? You mean when should people get it? No, when do when do they actually teach it? <laughs> I don't think they ever really teach it. It's similar to school never taught me how to like maintain my car properly. No. <laughs> you try to figure it out as you go. Unless you went to mechanic school yes. or you know, you did okay. Correct. Unless you went to vocational school. Okay. I didn't learn how to work on my car engine or how mm-hmm. to fix my car. Similarly, I had to learn how to do any electrical work in my house on my own. Or my yeah. brother-in-law had to teach had to teach me how to change my electrical outlets. I didn't learn that in school, and I think that our money is similar. Uh, yeah. The lessons, the good news is that I think the lessons don't have to be complicated. My industry likes to make things complicated, likes to make things complex and difficult to understand. There's a lot of jargon. It's very overwhelming. But if you look at different stages of life, you know, you're going to be in an accumulation stage. You're going to be in a decumulation stage. So that's while you're working or in retirement. You know, when you're younger, a lot of people have student debt. You might have some credit card debt. So you do have to deal with how do you pay off your debt? And do you need to do some basic budgeting to identify how are you living within your means? Like you need to, you need to know how much are you spending every month? Most people know how much they're making, but most, Mm. many people do not know. Like if I ask you, Where's your money going every month? That's a harder question to answer. So <laughs> so much harder, right? Because you don't. And it doesn't just... take much. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I like to tell people that budgeting, no one likes the word budgeting. It doesn't sound fun. But don't even start there. Just start with tracking. Just track your money. 
Tracking the money, yeah. Tracking your money for a month just to see how much are you spending on housing, food, transportation, and healthcare. Those are the four big ones. Yeah. Like the majority of your household budget are going to go into those four things. So you don't need to you don't need to be so granular having right. every single like time that you pull out your wallet or you pay $5 that you track it. You can if you want to. But as sure. a starting point, how much is going for housing, how much is going for transportation, healthcare and food? You nail down those four things. That's the majority of your expenses each month. Yeah. You can then take a look at some of the the recurring, uh, some of your recurring expenses, things like cable TV, your cell phone, any mm -hmm. subscriptions that you pay. And inevitably, once you start tracking, you can't help but to make improvements. If you do it for a second month, you start seeing some trends. You're like, oh, wow, I didn't realize that we're eating out this frequently and how much, yeah. how much money we're spending on pizza or... There's a subscription that I'm paying for, and I don't really use it. You can make some little tweaks there, and it really gives you a picture more clearly, especially if you're married, you have a family. I mean, I have three kids. It gets super busy at our house. Things yeah. are crazy. But just doing some basic tracking, then my wife and I can have a conversation and say, okay, let's not order pizza again. And... <laughs> <laughs> let's let's cook at home and we know that like we know where the money's going and you can make some decisions you don't have to do anything drastic but i think in the accumulation phase it's all about don't spend more than you make and then you make some planning how much am i putting into savings yeah. do you have an emergency fund for unexpected expenses like a hot water cooler a uh, hot water heater breaking or needing a new refrigerator or car repair and, um, hey, man, you just listed three things that I need to do. It's not that bad. It's not that bad. <laughs> yeah. You just start like baby steps. <laughs> no, absolutely. I mean, we, we need a bigger water heater. I need to get some work done on my car. <laughs> and uh, I'm thinking of getting a new refrigerator. So, you know, it's pretty normal thing. So I, I got I to gotta look at those trends when you mentioned, you know, the cycle, buying cycle of of certain things well i can go off on a tangent too i mean yeah we could, we could totally go they off don't on make tangent. them okay. like they used to <laughs> i did my old refrigerator um, i have I, an old extra refrigerator in my basement that thing i don't even know i can't even tell you how old that thing is it doesn't yeah. break down it's not efficient at all i'm sure it's using a lot of electricity <laughs> but the new ones the experts say everything's built to be disposable now so they're like mm. oh you know the refrigerator is only gonna last 10 years i'm like 10 years that's it well oh. i i think that our our <laughs> our society is. is more like they they make it such that thing costs have come down but then you can't repair it you just have to you replace re it i agree and and yeah that's a road i do not want to go down but <laughs> you you mentioned or the, you know the question was when should kids be taught about financial education? You've had conversations at the dinner table with your parents, you know, when you were growing up. Is that a good time for us to start? I think it's always, I think it's always good to start. And that's like the premise that we started with, right? I feel mm -hmm. like we don't have those conversations at home. And yeah. that continues with our children. Like we need to teach our kids. As parents, we're trying to prepare them for the real world. And so you just have to introduce it 
age appropriately. Yeah. And every kid's different. Like as a parent, it's like you're trying to experiment. It's always like uh, trying to figure out what are kids good at? And then when do they need a nudge? When do they need a, <laughs> when do you pull them? When do you push them? And when do you yeah. back off and not say anything because it's going to backfire on you? Like yeah. if you talk about it too much, then they say, well, I don't want, I, I'm not going to listen to you. Right. So with young kids, it's like, you know, they see me and my wife talking about going to the grocery store and we're saying, okay, well, this is on sale. I'm going to buy this. This is not on sale, but I like this one. So I'm going to, uh, they, they hear Same us talking later. out loud. And I think that they, yeah. they observe that. So that's one way. Okay. The other thing is that like, we've always been big on trying to teach them when it comes to their money, there are different, like different considerations. So I gave all three of my kids this piggy bank that has like four compartments in it. And mm -hmm. Like one's for college savings, one's for spending, one is for giving, and I can't remember Gifting, the fourth yeah. one. It's terrible. Probably investing. One's investing. Yeah. How mm -hmm. did I? How could I forget the investing one? Yeah, come on. That's my favorite one. <laughs> yeah. So you know, it's like then the piggy bank allows us to have the conversations, and it's super interesting having those conversations with kids. Yeah. Because I think that we're fortunate to live in a community that is fairly affluent. Mm -hmm. So they don't always see those in need, right? At least not on a daily basis. Yeah. yeah. So it's interesting having some of those conversations with them, like to explain that there are refugees that are coming to this country and they yeah. don't have housing or they don't have enough clothes. And to watch them actually like get their birthday money or Chinese yeah. New Year money. And we kind of ask them, how are you going to, like the four compartments, how are you going to use it? Mm -hmm. And the kids think about that. Um, yeah. That they want to help somebody. I think that that's, it's special to see like the innocence of a child and wanting to say, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to give like $5 to here and $2 to this and, and split it up. Right. It's, it's yeah. all about like getting their, getting the wheels turning, getting them thinking about how do I use my money? And then we, we involve them and it's like back to school shopping. Mm -hmm. And you see which kid is like the saver and who wants to spend because everybody's different. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> there's, there's a whole nother episode to talk about that stuff for sure. Because, you know, as parents of kids who want things who get money like oh dad i have this much money how much money do you have dad oh you have this much and then like last night my dad my son was asking mom are we rich like what do you how do you define rich right for kids it's like oh do you have a thousand dollars oh i have i have like this much dollars blah blah, blah. so it's really interesting and and just to understand okay how do i even teach this so since i have kids at different age levels my oldest being 12 i got him set up with so there's so just like the four compartments you mentioned there's an app called green lights and for parents you can set up these accounts for your kids who are underage and uh, underage meaning under 18 having their own accounts 
And now you can transfer money to them, give them allowances, have chores on there, but then they can also choose to use their money for spending, for um, giving, investments, and savings. So again, the same four bucket system is built into the app. So it's really interesting to see. And now when you mention, you know, they, you know, if you set up some stocks for them and 40, 50 years from now, they're like, oh, I have these stocks and it's automated. And, you know, think so there's something that I'm going to jump right ahead and, and go make those changes to be like, hey, we're going to get these stocks for you and then just keep them and then just get them started with that mentality of saving and giving and, and, and uh, providing. All right, man. Yeah, this I haven't used that app, really... but I've heard really great things. Yeah, yeah. It's another app that I I think I heard. This app I discovered through one of the one of the guests that you had on your podcast, and I never got around switching over to it. But it, it had similar features where you can have like family accounting and, and stuff like that. It's been really fun chatting with you. Let's share with the audience or let's take a quick break. And when we come back, Andy will share three hacks to take away that you can use with your, that you, <laughs> that you can implement in your life immediately. So we'll be right back. I'm Janet Ahmed, host of Hacks and Hobbies podcast and a digital presence advisor at HumbleZone. This episode is brought to you by Home Studio Mastery. I launched a consultation and course program to help podcasters and course creators to create a space in their homes that will reduce the friction of creating content and appearing their best when showing up on camera. The pandemic gave us a lot of issues, but this one is here to stay. We're now so much closer to our audience thanks to video becoming more popular and affordable. I help guide folks who want to create Hollywood-worthy studios to not only capture great content, but also build more confidence, more authority, and be more comfortable in front of the camera. If I can do it, you can too. And with my help, you can do it faster. So if you'd like to learn more, visit homestudiomastery.com and how you too can create a home studio that brings out your personality, professionalism, and possibilities. Hey guys, we're back. Thank you so much for sticking around. Uh, we've been talking here with Andy Wong, great, great, awesome friend of mine, the host of Inspired Money Podcast. He's over, he's a financial advisor over at Runny Mead Capital. Andy, you've got three hacks to take away for the audience. Let's jump right into it. Okay. Let's start here because I think that so far in this show, in this episode, we've been talking about the hows, like tracking, investing early. Those are the hows behind your money. And these are things that we need to do. They're important. But I want to take a look at the why also. Because um, we know that like few things provide better perspective, like a global pandemic that we've been living through. And Amen. the result has been that 
people have left their jobs in record numbers for new ventures. Some had a change of heart. Others did it because they had to survive. Many moved to a new place, like they moved to a new house, a new state. And so I just wanted to share, like, these are some of the questions that my clients have been asking of themselves. And I think it's important because there's more to just money than saving and investing. Like, especially once you retire and you're not working mm -hmm. because our jobs tend to, like, we tie our identity so closely to the work that we do. So it's like, who's the most important to you? Your family? Yeah. Like, who do you want to spend time with? Do you like your job? And the mm. second part of that question is, does your, employee, does your employer like you back? Um, I think the people, That's a big one. after the pandemic, so many of us are asking, how can we live our life more purposefully and more intentionally? And it, it's asking yourself some of these questions um, because you have to pause and stop and take some time to, to think. Too often, we're just busy. We're just um, yeah. answering emails. We're reactive. But it helps to take some time to think strategically. Um, like, where do you want to live? How much money do you need to be happy? Mm -hmm. And here's the big one. Is the stress worth it? Like, everybody's on this balancing act trying to figure out how much do you really need and how much stress is worth it? Coming out of the pandemic, I think that many are realizing that there is an opportunity to move to a, a new place that has a lower cost of living. Maybe you didn't need as much as you thought, and maybe you can be happy. There, there was a great article in the New York Times, and the title is, mm -hmm. How Quitting a Job Changed My Personal Finances. It talked about a couple who were living in Houston I think the wife was an academic librarian. These, these, this is a couple, they're in their early 40s. The husband yeah. was a quality manager at an oil and gas company. They did the math and they, they figured out that if they moved to Montana, where it doesn't cost as much to live, maybe Mr. Carl didn't need to work. Mrs. Carl could be a remote librarian systems administrator. Mr. Carl actually ended up launching an art artisanal chocolate company, which was a passion project of his that started nice. in the early days of the pandemic. So they took an annual pay cut of like $100,000. They make around $70,000 now, but they're happier. And they, they sacrifice like going out to really nice dinners in Houston but now they sure. live in Montana in a small town. So I don't think there's much of that anyway. And they're <laughs> enjoying hiking and gardening mm -hmm. together. So I, I think that the hack is taking a pause and trying to think, you know, what, what makes you happy? What brings you fulfillment? Because whether you're young or old, at some point, the sooner you know the sooner you have answers to some of those questions, the better, because yeah. you want to align your activities with things that bring you happiness and fulfillment.
And I work with a lot of people who are transitioning from accumulation phase to decumulation phase. They're, they're about to go into retirement. And that's a transition. I mean, many people just don't know, how am I going to spend my time during the day? And wow. is my spouse, am I going to drive my spouse crazy because I'm not going to an office? All, all the time, yeah. We're suddenly together all day. And uh, yeah, I, I think that it's important to, to pause and think about those things. And it's perfect because it. your show is the Hack it, Hacks and Hobbies Hacks podcast. And hobbies. Often our hobbies are a nice like indicator of what's something that we enjoy. But not everybody has hobbies. There are a lot of people no. who say, I need to find a hobby. Um, and hopefully your, your show is here to help them, you know, give them a little guidance if they don't have yeah. a hobby yet. Man, I love that. Thank you so much, man. Appreciate it. Wow. I'm going to be buzzing on this for a while for sure. <laughs> well, Andy, this was a lot of fun. Thank you so much again for sharing the three hacks. And we've got six quick questions for you. And um, we should be able to wrap it up. All right, number one question. What is the one hobby that you wish you got into? Oh, that I wish that I got into? Oh, um, I wish that I could cook better. Mm. I like that. I think we can make that happen. <laughs> I, I watch YouTube. Yeah, you watch YouTube. Our right, next question. What did you want to be when you were a child? I distinctly remember saying that I wanted to be an artist. Mm. I don't know that I knew what that meant, but I think I heard my older cousin say that and I was just copying him. But that's that's what I was saying for a while. <laughs> I want to be an artist. And you are an artist. You're a singer and a, you know, uh, you play the ukulele, you play the guitar. It's amazing. I do play what music. Is your and I think that whatever we do, like whatever our prof profession is, mm -hmm. we try to be like, we try to mimic like an artist or a craftsman. You're trying yeah. to create something and do something at the highest level and be yeah. inspired. Absolutely. All right. Next question. What is your favorite movie or TV show? Terminator. The first one with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Arnold Schwarzenegger. I love it. When he was the when he's the robot. When he's the cyborg, he's, that was the perfect role for Arnold. <laughs> it absolutely was. Our right, next up. What movie would you choose if you got to play a character in it? What movie would I choose? Oh gosh. Um I don't I have no idea. Uh I don't know. Crazy Rich Asians 2? <laughs> there we go. I think we put the put, we put the message out there and Shang Chi. Um, you know. Shang -Chi. <laughs> awesome. Next up, who is your favorite superhero? I was like the Green Lantern. I don't know why. I think because in theory his ring could do anything. Like he could make anything. 
That is so true. Hundred percent. He could do anything, and um, he did a lot of things. <laughs> uh, last question: If you were a board game, what would it be? If I were a board game, Monopoly. I like All the right. money. I never liked Monopoly that it took so long to play, but I like the money part. Yeah. All right. I like it. I like it. Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much for jumping on and uh, sharing your wisdom, your story, your origin, and the hacks that people can in- utilize in their lives. Again, thank All right, we're going <laughs> to... I can't even find the ending. Andy, thanks so much for coming on to the podcast. This was a ton of fun. We'll catch you in the next one. Thank you, Junaid. Always fun. Appreciate your generosity and you always helping everybody. That includes helping this guy to always uh, make the camera look a little bit better. So thank you. You got it, Andy. You can find Andy over on Inspired Money Podcast and we'll have the links in the show notes to connect with Andy. Thanks so much again. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to this Hacks and Hobbies episode. Junaid would love to hear from you, so please leave a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. Visit hacksandhobbies.com to find additional information on the guest today, as well as the show notes.